All right, you're here, you're ready, you're pumped, you're excited, I can sense it. Saratoga is ready, yes, Saratoga's in the house. Half Moon is here and ready. I know it, I know it's true. At one Enterprise Drive there in Half Moon, you guys are pumped. And Latham is in the house. Latham is fired up and ready to go. Well, here's the deal. God has something special to say to us today. It's not because of the messenger. It's not because of any particular thing that we are or do. It's because he loves us and he cares. And God has some life-changing information for you. He wants to speak to your very soul. And here's more important. He wants to change the direction of our lives because he wants us to flourish. So let me begin this way. Let's suppose that you had a unique opportunity to be on Good Morning America, all right? And you've been invited, and and, uh, you are a special person when it comes to understanding the culture. And so you've been invited on Good Morning America. You're an expert. You really get where the culture is, what it's about, and they're, they're excited, the, the audience is ready, all of the commentators, all of the hosts are ready to talk to you. And they ask you this, look, from your perspective, what is the number one pursuit of people in the American culture? How would you answer that? What's the number one pursuit of people in the culture. I, I, I don't know what you would say, but if I were answering that in one word, I would say more, more. And if they press and say, well, oh, come on, what do you mean by more? More of what? I'd say more treasure. There's two words for you, more treasure. And if they press further, well, unpack that for us. I would say, yes, more treasure in terms of money, material things, but a lot more than that. Fame, popularity, power, prestige. Most people I know are desperately searching for more. And the reason is because they believe that will be their ticket to happiness and security in this life. Well, that's what I would say to the Good Morning America crowd. Now, if there's even a kernel of truth in my hypothesis there. I believe that today's message from Jesus, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, in this series called Living from the Inside Out, I believe it's gonna hit us like an atomic bomb because Jesus has something very powerful to say to those of us living on planet Earth and particularly if we are in pursuit of more treasure. Let's look at his words together and then we'll spend some minutes unpacking them. Matthew chapter six, let's look at what Jesus said here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, What a statement this verse 21 is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
But he goes on, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then this little section here is summed up in verse 24 with what I believe is one of the more poignant, penetrating statements that a culture like ours could ever hear. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, Jesus is emphatic about this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, Here's where we're going. I wanna break that down into four essential questions. So let me go ahead and give you the outline just so you'll be ready if you're taking some notes or jotting some ideas down that maybe you wanna go back later and think about or kind of pray through. That would be, that would be awesome. The first question is, what was Jesus not forbidding here? And I believe that'll be a shocker to many. What is he not forbidding? I think we need to start there. Then what is Jesus actually prohibiting is our second question. And then the third one is, why does Jesus warn us about these dangers? And then we're gonna get real practical for the last few minutes together and just talk about the how, right? Because the Bible wasn't written to fill our heads with information. God gave us his word to change our lives, it's not just an IQ test, it's an EQ test, and it is a life-living kind of test. How are we actually living this out? So with that said, let's dive in now to that first question. What was Jesus not forbidding? First of all, Jesus was not forbidding, he's not banning the possession of material things. Some of you may wonder, Pastor, why would you even need to say that? Because perhaps to you that seems obvious. Well, I wanna start there with what may seem obvious to some because please understand that throughout history, there has been a teaching, and it's still alive today, that only poverty really pleases God. And the champion proof text for that is like Matthew 19, where Jesus said to this rich young man, go sell your, if you wanna be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And so for millions of professing Christians down through the centuries, that is the Trump verse that just trumps everything else, and the thing that really pleases God more than anything is poverty. So be aware you want to understand our culture and in our Christian subculture. There is both a prosperity mentality that's very much alive, but there at the same time is a poverty mentality that's very much alive and well still today. Please listen carefully. God does call some Christians to voluntarily live with very few resources. He does. Cause that call them to voluntarily do that. But let's be crystal clear about this. There is no inherent virtue in poverty. No, no. That's not what scripture teaches. There's no inherent virtue 
in poverty. You won't find that kind of teaching in the Bible, that there's this inherent virtue in, in just poverty itself. If you want a really great book, it's not an easy read, but I'm gonna recommend it to you anyway for those of you who are hardy readers and can plow through books like this. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines, written back in the 1980s by Dallas Willard. Wonderful Christian, great maker of disciples, great disciple himself. And in that book, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, he talks about the fact that some Christians think that money itself is evil and that poverty is more spiritual than, than wealth. Listen to what Willard says. In fact, I, I went ahead and put it on the screen here so you can see it in black and white. Instead of recognizing their responsibility to help others with the goods at their disposal, they are haunted by the more radical thought that their service to God would be better if they were poor, or at least if they own nothing beyond what is required to meet their daily needs. They're troubled by the idea that the very possession of surplus goods or money is evil. And then Willard uses an incredibly important word, stewardship. Oh, that's a good word. Stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. And then he makes what is one of my favorite statements that he ever made. Being poor is one of the poorest ways to help the poor. And that's true. So let's be clear. Nowhere does the Bible forbid private property or ownership of things. Nowhere does it condemn wealth as some inherent evil. That's not what Jesus is forbidding here. Second, Jesus does not forbid the practice of saving for the future and preparing for future what I'll call dry seasons. So some people read the passage we read today and they immediately assume, oh wow, if I put anything in the bank, if I have anything in a financial portfolio, any kind of investments, I guess God doesn't like that. Jesus said, don't store it up. That's not the consistent teaching of Scripture. In fact, in places like Proverbs chapter 6, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, ruler. Yet, what does this tiny little creature do? Be wise like the ant. It stores its provisions in summer. It gathers its food at harvest. And so, the consistent message of Scripture is it says some strong things about having enough that you've saved and stored up so that you can provide for others. For instance, starting with your family. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that is not referring to your cousin Eddie who's a deadbeat, who lives irresponsibly, who, who constantly tries to put guilt trips on you and says, well, your own Bible says you need to provide. No, 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 this has nothing to do with Eddie, all right? In fact, if you look at the immediate context there, it's talking about widows in particular. The very next verse says, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's at least 60, and it goes on to give give other details. 
So it's mostly talking about those who are elderly or those who can't care for themselves. That's the idea. But you can't do that unless you've stored something up. Or I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. After all, children should not save up, have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So it is perfectly valid to save for responsible purposes. In fact, if you wanna get on God's kind of financial plan and, and be in his sweet spot, the, his will for your life financially, one of the first things you're gonna do is get an emergency fund. God has allowed us at grace, some of you may not be aware of this, he's allowed us by his grace through the years, and this started years ago with a dear leader named Larry Van Ostrand, who has gone on to be with the Lord just months ago. And that ministry continues in capable hands. Michelle Martin and other fine leaders are involved in leading that ministry. We have been able to see thousands of people, thousands, go through Financial Peace University. And the number one place you start when you start eliminating the stranglehold of debt and getting out of this pit that so many people find themselves in financially Build an emergency fund is one of the first things you do. So it's valid. That's just wise management, folks. And I've heard Dave Ramsey say on many occasions, if he had just one verse that kind of was the backbone of what Financial Peace University is all about, it would be Proverbs 13, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but the one who gathers money little by little you're putting away little bits here and there. You're saving. You're investing in it. Little by little makes it grow. So you save a little. You make wise investments. You learn the miracle of compound interest, and it really helps you be ready for the future. Third, Jesus does not forbid the enjoyment of the good things our heavenly Father provides. Wow, some of you really need to hear that because you grew up in a curmudgeonly kind of Christianity where the message you got now from your Christian experience was God has this haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Oh, my Lord. So don't you dare be happy. Don't you dare enjoy life. The Christian life is meant to be a thing where you kind of put your head down and plow on through and you never smile and you never laugh and you never have any fun. That has nothing to do with Christianity. I like 1 Timothy chapter six and we're gonna, toward the end of our message, look at this more closely. But wow, what a rich statement this is. It talks about God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Contrary to what some people believe, God is not a cosmic killjoy who's paranoid that you might be actually enjoying your life. No, he wants us as a rule, as a rule, to be very fulfilled in life. And while he does not promise us to be always happy and always healthy and always prosperous financially, he doesn't promise those things to us. As a general rule, God wants his children to be very, very fulfilled as they flourish in this life of following him. Can anybody say amen to that? That's good. That's a good thing, okay? 
So he's not forbidding any of these things. That brings us to the question, what is Jesus actually prohibiting here? Well, I'm gonna put it on the screen and I want you to see what he is actually prohibiting. Here it is. He is clearly prohibiting the selfish, this is what you'd get from scripture, the selfish accumulation of goods while being oblivious to God's kingdom cause and the good of others. Look anywhere you want. Look anywhere you want in the Bible. That's what you're gonna take away. Jesus taught it in many other places. Don't have time to go there right now because it would take us away from our main theme. <clears throat> but that is what Jesus is prohibiting. In one word, he's warning against materialism. Now, when I say that, some of you think, yeah, all those rich people. That's all those rich people. That's who Jesus has a problem with. Wait a minute. Materialism is a mindset. Listen to me closely. You can be on food stamps and welfare assistance and be more materialistic than the multimillionaire who is genuinely humble and finds his hope in God. Materialism and greed is, first of all, a mindset. Jesus' complaint here in this passage is not about wealth. His concern is our attitude toward wealth. It all comes back to what is driving you and consuming you. And if I were on Good Morning America, my answer would be the number one thing is more. That's what most people I know are consumed by. And that's why this passage is so relevant but we need to move on. Third, I wanna ask this question. Why is Jesus so concerned about this? Or to put it a little differently, why does Jesus warn about these dangers of materialism? Now, there's probably a lot of reasons, probably a lot of reasons. When Billy Graham was still alive, once would ask, what it? What is the God of this world? What, what is the God of most people in the culture? You know what his answer was? Materialism. He was a pretty wise person. And as he looked around, a person who had traveled and preached in over 100 countries in the world, he said the number one God of people in this world is materialism. So why is Jesus warning about that? I, I wanna give you two reasons, probably many. The first one, is material things can easily become our master. Now, it, you won't see this unless your Bible is open there, or if you've got your app open on your device. But I, I, here's what I see. Now, maybe I'm just dreaming this up, but I see a progression in the verses we read today from Jesus. I see a progression here. What begins as our treasure in verse 19 moves on and it occupies our heart in verse 21, okay? And then it becomes our vision in verse 22, and before we know it, it becomes our master in verse 24. Do you, do you see that as you look at those verses? It, it starts off as a treasure, but wow, before you know it, your treasure that you thought was gonna serve you, you're now serving it. Oh my God, you go, how did this happen? I wasn't, I wasn't trying to serve, I wasn't trying to be materialistic. I don't wanna be greedy. I wanted it to serve me so I could just enjoy some good things in life. But my goodness, when I really get honest and examine my life, 
It's become my God, little g. I'm actually serving it. I think that's the first reason Jesus is real concerned because there are few things that have more power than money to actually consume us. And and so that progression is gonna kick in unless we do something about it. It's just natural, I'm telling you. Young people, please listen to me. You may sit here today and go, no, no, it'll never happen to me. I'm not gonna become one of those old codgers who lives for money. Don't bet on it. The progression happens unless you do something intentionally to stop the progression. And I think it has to start with us setting our focus on something different. Look at how scripture puts this, how the apostle Paul puts it in the book of Colossians chapter three. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ, and that's every Christian who's been born again by the spirit of God. That's Paul's word for it. We are identified with Christ in his resurrection. We, right now, right now, have been raised with Christ. Not just someday in the future, Right now, we sit in heavenly places in Christ. We've been raised with Christ right now. That is our spiritual position. That's why you're already a winner. That's why your performance is not gonna make you a winner. You're already a winner. You're always beginning as a winner. So you just live out who you are. Different message altogether. Gotta stick on track here. Look at what he says. Since then, you've been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, brutally honest, if you really examine your day and how your hours are spent, what do you focus on the most? Where is most of your focus Is it on some way to be a little more happy down here? Is it on, is it kind of pretty much on things in this world or are you focused on things above? I I like the way uh, one writer, John Piper, puts this in a book called Desiring God. He said, all the evils, I'm quoting him now, just jotted it down, all the evils in the world come not because our desires for happiness are too strong. God's not against you wanting to be happy. It's not because your desire for happiness is too strong, but because they're so weak that we settle. We settle, Piper says, for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy our deepest souls, but in the end destroy them. The root of all evil is that we are the kind of people who settle for the love of money instead of the love of God. And I think that describes where so many people are. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. So materialism is this mindset that's rooted in greed and envy where we place this inordinate value on material things. They're not evil in and of themselves. It's just that God goes, look, why are you racing after gold? You're gonna be walking on it one day. Why is that? This doesn't make any sense. Come on, be rational. 
Why are you racing after all these things that are gonna end up at the garbage dump one day? Set your mind on things above. Go after things that are gonna last. They're gonna be eternal. We're gonna talk about that more next week, by the way. If any of you ever struggle with worry, and I know that doesn't affect any of you, so I'm I'm just throwing it out there, but if any of you ever have any anxiety again, I know that that never touches anybody uh, that's listening right now, but if any of you know anyone who ever has any anxieties, you don't wanna miss next week because we're gonna get into the heart of Jesus' teaching about worry, anxiety, and what the antidote is to that. We're gonna talk about that next Sunday, okay? So the second reason I think Jesus warns us about this is that, and I'm really just building on what I've already said here, material things can easily consume us. They can, first of all, become our master, an actual master, but then they can actually consume us. They can become a daily obsession of our lives. Here, let, let, let me throw something on you here and see, see how this sounds. Rather than being consumed by stuff and the pursuit of stuff, God wants you to be content. Now, when you hear content, doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be successful. Doesn't mean God doesn't want you to accomplish things. What, what he wants is as you go after appropriate goals and accomplishments in life and use the gifts he's given you, he wants you to be content as you go about that. Look at this powerful passage in 1 Timothy chapter six. The apostle Paul writes, but godliness with contentment, whoo, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. I didn't, I came naked in the world. I'm with Job on that. Job said, naked I came into the world, naked I'll depart. I, I'm, in that, I'm in that league. Brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. <laughs> and then get this warning. People who wanna get rich. Now, that phrase means they make that their aim in life. That's the thing that they're clutching onto. And they make it their aim to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap, and in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You know anyone whose whole driving ambition in life is just to be fabulously rich? Whoa, hold on. If that is your drive, if that's your number one in pursuit in life, we're gonna have some problems here. You're gonna fall into temptations and into a trap that's gonna plunge you into ruin and destruction. It's consuming you. You're gonna end up buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like and that's no way to live. I really like some of the things that Randy Alcorn has written. Um, he's got one book, it's, it's a big, big old book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Oh, it's got so much good stuff in it. Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. And in that book, he says, you know what? You know what every parent ought to do? If you're a good Christian parent, he said, look, you, you ought to occasionally take your children when they're young, take them out, to the garbage dump. 
just for a little field, you know, experiment, just, just a little field trip out to the garbage dump and let them see what happens to the material things that people are spending their lives to get. Show them all these things that people clambered for, longed for, gave their lives for, let their marriages be wrecked for, ignored their children to try to get these things. They were so important to them. This is where they ended up, in the garbage dump. And it's a powerful, poignant reminder, Alcorn says, that everything we have in this life is temporal. And again, next week, we're, we're gonna kind of build on this because that's really one of the keys to anxiety. Are you going after that which is temporal or that which is eternal? And so Jesus puts it like this in verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You're gonna hate the one, love the other. You're gonna be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Somebody, somebody's going to get the short end of the stick. I love this true story that happened back in 1987. Henry Dempsey was doing a little, he, he was flying a little jet, a tiny little jet, but he had a co-pilot with him, a little jet from Portland, Maine down to Boston. Just a short flight. It wasn't even going to go very high, you know. Going to fly at several thousand feet. Just a little short just a matter of minutes, really. And he, he heard a noise toward the rear of the plane, and, and Dempsey handed the controls over to the co-pilot, and he went back to check it out. And as he reached the tail section of the plane, they, they hit some really rough air, and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door of this small jet. And when he did, the rear door that had been improperly latched burst open and he was immediately sucked out of the jet. True story. The co-pilot saw the red light on, which indicated that the rear door was open. He immediately radioed the nearest airport requesting permission as soon as possible for an emergency landing. And he suggested that a helicopter might get out and start searching for the pilot who'd fallen out of the plane. And as the plane landed, the ground crew were amazed. They found Henry Dempsey, true story, holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow, he had caught the ladder as he fell out, and he had held on for a full 10 minutes, 4,000 feet in the air, going about 200 miles an hour. He had held on and clutched that ladder and he had kept his head from hitting the runway when it landed, although it was only about 12 inches from the runway. And here's the part that cracks me up. According to news reports, it took airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. Now, I've known some people who've held on to certain things in this world with that kind of white knuckle intensity. But I like what Ulrich Zwingli, the great Reformed theologian, said. He said, if you possess something that you're not willing to part with, you don't really possess it. It possesses you. So I guess the final question is how. We're going to be really quick here. How? How? 
We always need to end with how, don't we? How, let's get super practical. How do we store up treasures in heaven? Well, I think the Apostle Paul speaks clearly to this in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter six. If you're looking, if you're looking for a good passage to memorize, I would recommend this one. I really would. Boy, this is one to me. This is just so pat. You know, not every verse, it's all God-breathed, but not every verse will bless you, right? Like others. You just don't feel the blessing from it. Well, this is one that blesses me constantly. Here's what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world, and that's almost all of us by world standards, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up. Get, get. Jesus said, don't store treasures on earth, but store them where? In, in heaven. And here, the Apostle Paul, all of Scripture is profitable, He's telling us how now to do that. How, Jesus didn't tell us how, in the Sermon on the Mount at least. Now Paul is telling us how to do it, okay? And that, that's what this passage really, really tells us. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says, command them to be, do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So four practical things, gonna be lightning quick. Number one, be humble. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Thank God it doesn't always happen, but let's admit, often with material things comes a sense of arrogance. Look what I did. Like Nebuchadnezzar of old, look at the great Babylon I have built. Look at this house that I've already paid for. Look at this car I drive. Look at these clothes I wear, man. Look at this company that I've built. Let's face it, there's often a sense of arrogance that goes with people who have been blessed with a lot. Can I tell you the way to stay humble? Remember, you don't own any of that. You're just a manager. I'm just a manager everything, everything that I call mine is not mine. It's not. <laughs> it's God's. And I am simply get the pure joy of managing it. He's entrusted it to my care. And that's a good way to, to stay humble. Just remind yourself of that. If there's any virtue that God really values, I would say it'd probably be humility. This is the one I esteem, he or she who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, 2b. Second, you wanna lay up treasure in heaven? Be humble. Second, put your hope in God. Paul goes on here in verse 17, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. I hope you're trusting in God more than the stock market. God provides for us. He wants us to enjoy these blessings, but he wants our hope to be firmly rooted in him. Third, Paul says, do good deeds. Did you know that? Over and over, the Bible again tells Christians 
to do good deeds. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. A whole bunch of Christians from Grace Fellowship yesterday did a bunch of good deeds. They partnered with other churches in our region in a serve as one day. So many good deeds were done. Can I tell you something? I mean, just rewards are being racked up in heaven when Christians do that. Every time you sacrifice for your children, every time you do something for that relative, every time you are kind and do something for that coworker or that fellow student, God doesn't miss a thing. It's all recorded in his books. Jesus said in Mark 9, verse 41, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. No, your good deeds won't earn you entrance to heaven. Please be clear on that. That's only by grace through faith in Jesus alone. But God notices your good deeds. In fact, he says he's recorded them in his books. He counts your every step according to Job 31, verse four. He knows every good thing you do and every motive behind it, and you will be richly rewarded for everything done in his name. And finally, you wanna store up treasure in heaven, be generous. Paul says to be generous and willing to share. God's given me all these amazing things. I've freely received, I freely give. You know what I believe? I believe there's a whole bunch of people at Half Moon and Latham and Saratoga that have just got storehouses of things in heaven that they've been storing up. I believe that with all my heart because some of the finest Christians I've ever known are a part of this church family. I really mean that and you humbly go about your business, you humbly live for Christ, and you generously give and share. There's so many ways to do that. I can hardly wait to see all that God has in store for you in heaven and forever, forever to celebrate with you that God allowed us to be a part of a team like this, his kingdom team. Father, thank you that you've called us to live a countercultural life a countercultural life. That's what this is about. Help us to enjoy all the good things you've given us. Father, help us to be sensitive to the ways you guide us that we can make a difference in our world. And oh Lord, with anyone today who's struggling with who their master's gonna be, is it gonna be God or is it gonna be money? Oh May there be no more decision to be made. Let it be made now. The Lord Jesus is gonna be my master. I'm gonna serve him and him alone. I'm gonna mark this day. No looking back, no looking back. Thank you, Lord, for the ways you graciously bless us. And we thank you that you've called us to be good stewards. In Jesus' name, amen.